0: So today is Thanksgiving Day 2015, and um, I'm thinking about, you know, all of us out there that uh, tend to spend Thanksgiving stuffing our faces and drinking too much and sitting in front of the TV all day long, and uh, of course, you know, this is okay once a year in moderation, but this, um, this has me thinking about the general topic of lifestyle and you know the effect of lifestyle on mental health in particular. And about four years ago there was an article that came out um, in American Psychologist which is the American Psychological Association's flagship journal and the article was by Dr. Roger Walsh and it was called Lifestyle and Mental Health and I'll have this linked in a On uh, the website where I'm going to embed this podcast, and um, the article, you know, was very simple and commonsensical. It essentially outlines eight major lifestyle factors um, that include some basic things like exercise, nutrition and diet, time in nature, relationships, recreation, relaxation, and stress management spiritual involvement, service to others. So those are 8, but you know, they you could divide them up any way you want. There could be even more than that, like sleep hygiene, things like that. But the basic idea was these lifestyle factors are incredibly underappreciated and underutilized in the field of mental health. And that there are various reasons for that. And um you know, this even though this article came out four years ago, I think it's still uh incredibly important, and I don't think it's gained the traction that I hoped it would so now that I'm you know I've got this podcast going, I figure I'd dedicate an episode basically to this article because it really ties together a lot of the things that I talk about on this podcast now since the last episode um I have passed my comprehensive examinations for my counseling program, so I'm feeling pretty good. I've got more free time now to devote to this and other creative things. But as I'm winding down my graduate program, one of the things that's been, you know, drilled into us is this notion of uh, professional identity, knowing who we are as counselors. Now in my case you know, I already had somewhat of an identity formed before I got into the program many of my peers in the program are young people in their 20s people that are being exposed to um, the field of mental health and a lot of the theories and ideas for the first time whereas you know I came into this in my 40s so I already you know had formed an identity and a philosophy that's uh, pretty much articulated um, on the whole website here at Integral Health Resources. But um, one of the things that's uh, emphasized in counseling is that we want to uh, embody a wellness model. And basically the wellness model is always put out there in contradistinction to the medical model. So the wellness model is essentially just this whole person model where we as counselors are focusing on strengths, building on strengths. We look at people as essentially healthy um whereas you know the medical model that's uh really um embodied by the field of psychiatry perhaps more than any other is based on this uh concept that psychopathology is a matter of disorder uh disease brain circuitry problems and so forth and one of the things that has frustrated me i guess uh, as i prepare to become a licensed counselor is that while on the one hand we want to embody and embrace this wellness model the reality is we're gonna be out there working in settings where the medical model really rules Um, I've done internships and settings where you know even as a counselor you have to uh, come up with a diagnosis from the DSM on the very first meeting with a client or a patient and you have to do this simply because um you know you have to get paid that person doesn't have access to services unless they have a diagnosis because the insurance company is not going to reimburse them unless they have a diagnosis and once you once you get into the system you see that it's it's quite hard to uh fully embody this wellness model when the context that you're working is working from a totally different model so that's one of the things i think that impacts this um, this whole idea that while lifestyle factors uh, are huge when it comes to both what causes a lot of psychopathology and what can help reverse psychopathology uh, these things aren't typically stressed by mental health professionals. We're, there's a lot of pressure on us institutional pressure, financial pressure Uh, to push on our clients and patients um, these very stylized and specific psychotherapeutic um, interventions because these are the evidence-based interventions that you know are going to be reimbursed by insurance essentially and many of them you know have some research behind them showing their effectiveness Just as there's no doubt some effectiveness to certain medications for certain problems. But um, when when you're pressured to constantly push these two alternatives, either some sort of psychotherapeutic intervention or uh, some sort of medication, it's very easy to overlook these simple, free, uh, -free, side-effect-free ways of addressing a problem that are simply matters of lifestyle change. And there's tons of research that just continues to grow that shows that uh, these lifestyle factors like exercise, meditation, things like that, um, have tremendous effects on psychological problems. And yet uh, we're not typically stressing this in a counseling session and in the places where we work. So this is something I'm hoping um to focus on a lot in my own practice whatever setting i end up working at but it's uh it's it's pretty telling that you know there's these very simple um explanations for sort of what's going wrong in a lot of people and very simple solutions i mean they're not simple i mean obviously uh you know dr walsh mentioned some of the reasons why these lifestyle factors are not being utilized and one is you know clients and patients themselves it's you know much more difficult to change your lifestyle than it is to pop a pill or have a few cognitive behavioral therapy sessions and so it is difficult to to make these changes but i think if people really truly understood how effective they were and how important it was to connect how you live and what you do every day to how you feel and your subjective experience. I think people would be a lot more motivated if they really thought there was hope and a solution. Um, and so, you know, you have the institutional pressures, the professional bias against um, using these lifestyle factors as the basis of our uh, treatment plans. And you also have, you know, the patients themselves that are looking for easy answers. And, and just society in general, which is bombarding us with advertising and um, all kinds of other messages that are encouraging us to eat too much, drink too much, uh, get in this consumer-driven lifestyle where we're staring at screens all the time. and So it's a difficult problem, but I just um, I encourage everybody to read the article. Um there's also on the website where i'm going to embed the podcast at integralhealthresources.com there's videos um there's an interview that Roger Walsh does with uh philosopher Ken Wilber on the article itself and i i just think it's it's really worth driving home and uh promoting this perspective he calls it you know the TLC's therapeutic lifestyle changes and these these eight areas that I read off are the, you know, eight TLCs that have a lot of research behind them. And he goes through all the research and he really just presents a very simple, concise case that it's a very simple model. And I think it's that's important, too, because I don't think people will implement anything unless it, you know, kind of makes intuitive sense. And so, yeah, and, and this this idea also ties together so many things that i've been focused on and since i've been done with my comps i've been able to actually read some articles i want to read and you'll see a lot of the things i post on the integral health resources twitter feed or facebook all seem to tie into this theme like one of the articles um that i just posted was by alan francis who you know I, i dedicated a whole episode to last time but he wrote an article called, Why Are So Many American Youth Abusing Adderall? And so, you know, all this ties in, of course, to the the overdiagnosis of ADHD, which, uh, you know, I've also talked about before. And Dr. Francis, you know, continually points out that, you know, if we simply just uh, increase the time that we spent on the physical education period in schools... ADHD diagnoses would go way down a lot less children would be medicated if we just simply gave them an opportunity to you know be physically active so again even when you're talking about kids and ADHD um, you know the reasons why we're we're popping pills just have to do with uh, much more to do with the lifestyle of elementary school, confining kids to desks and pathologizing, uh, normal ebullience and, and, the energetic displays of children and, um, and turning that into some sort of disorder. One other interesting article that, uh, I linked to on the IHR Facebook page and Twitter feed was uh, a guy named Peter Kinderman. Um, he did a blog in Scientific American and he was talking about sort of uh, the diagnostic system that we have now and how really uh, how it doesn't really square with with science and even common sense and he pointed out something i had never thought of that sounds very doable to me. He says, We should replace traditional diagnoses with straightforward descriptions of problems. We must stop regarding people's very real emotional distress as merely the symptom of diagnosable illnesses. A simple list of people's problems, properly defined, would have greater scientific validity and would be more than sufficient as a basis for individual care planning and for the design and planning of services. And so... I mean, this makes total sense to me. Of course, it can't work given our uh, insurance system right now. But this notion that you you have to have diagnoses um, based on this medical model of, of mental illness in order to do research and to come up with treatment plans is ridiculous. I mean, of course, even the language of you know treating symptoms is all based on the medical model. But if you simply just, you know, you had somebody come in and you just noted what their problem was, whether it was, you know, delusions and hallucinations or an academic problem or a relationship problem or a mood problem, whatever it is, you just simply define what that problem is and you could still very easily design a plan to help the person with that problem and you never need to resort to medical model terminology you don't have to say treatment and you don't have to talk about symptoms uh disorders illnesses you just simply note what the person's having trouble with and you you help them out based on your experience and uh knowledge and and research and i think the uh you know these therapeutic lifestyle changes just fits right in with this you know someone could come in with a and they're having a problem you know with mood and you could call it the disease of depression and you could think of it in terms of symptoms and of course that's gonna lead you to you know some sort of uh intervention or some sort of drug whereas if you if you just think of it differently you think that the person's having difficulty with their mood and you know this is a problem that I'm going to try to help them address I think it would be easier to take a look at some of the things that are not uh, not based in the medical model and you wouldn't even think of as treatments like you don't prescribe the treatment of exercise or prescribe the treatment of uh, mindfulness even though you know people are talking about these things in this way because because they're confining themselves to this medical way of looking at things Um, so I mean I don't know I mean it seems uh, maybe it's a pipe dream to think we're ever gonna get to this point because again if it's all about insurance reimbursement and the healthcare system and you know I mean it's such a big mess how do we get to this place where we start thinking sanely about health and mental health in particular? I'm in the same, you know, again, I just think this general perspective applies to so many of the things that I'm interested in. And when you think about um, some previous episodes I've done on addiction and uh, Johann Hari's um, perspective that uh, everything we think we know about addiction is wrong. And that the opposite of addiction is connection. And, uh, you know, again, it's like the notion that the problem of addiction can be solved by simply, you know, helping people be more connected uh, fits right in with this therapeutic lifestyle changes. I mean, um and it's a common-sense solution that if we just focused our energies in this direction would solve so many other societal ills we would stop wasting time on you know this fake war on drugs and all these quote-unquote interventions and and ways we've been treating the quote-unquote disease of addiction for years and years and years that just don't work um, and actually make things worse we could just stop doing that if we just simply looked at the problem clearly. And so I guess this is where, you know, I've been focusing a lot of my energy uh, on the website and on this podcast and I'm going to continue to do so and it seems maybe overly simplistic to say that if you just simply change the way you look at these problems, you know, everything is going to change. Uh solutions that, you know, would never have occurred to, to you might suddenly become obvious. And um you know this hap- has to happen on a societal level, and there's enough individuals out there, powerful individuals like Alan Francis and uh, people that have a voice like Johan Hari, that are getting out there, putting these perspectives out there. But I think they all tie together in very much the same way, and it's uh, just really pointing out that the way that we're viewing mental illness in general uh, from this medical model perspective this disease and disorder perspective chemical imbalance everything's about you know brain circuitry is just fundamentally flawed and has to be dropped and there are so many uh other possibilities when you simply take a you know a fresh look at this from what seems to me to be much more common sense uh, perspective of looking at life difficulties and life problems as just that and seeing the you know the social dimension of it for what it is and recognizing the physiological and brain dimension for what it is and seeing how that fits into the larger picture and not you know simply reducing everything to that so anyway that's um all I think I'm going to ramble about on the thanksgiving episode here. I hope everybody has a great holiday. I encourage you to, to read this article by Roger Walsh, watch any of the videos, listen to the the interviews. I think it's one of the most important perspectives out there that um, ties into everything I'm trying to do here uh, on the website and in my, um, my career in general. So anyway, until next time, happy Thanksgiving and be well.